Well, we've had a bit of everything this week, haven't we, except drought. We've had a bit of snow, apparently down in the Midlands. We've had certainly flooding. Anyone drastically affected by flooding? Because I thought here, you know, wild waves, you know, foaming up their own shame and you go past the gorge and you see all the foam and it just reminded me, I was preparing, you know, for the message today on, on Jude and the vivid language that he uses taken straight out of nature. And we got a, a bit of a, an example this week of some of the power of nature, some of the, the effects of nature and how drastically it can affect us. And it gives us an idea of the sorts of forces at work that, James, that um, Jude is talking about. So I want you to think of a question that I'm going to pose to you, an answer to it. And it's this. Have you ever been forced to change your plans because of the immoral or illegal actions of another? Have you ever been forced to change your plans because of immoral or illegal actions of others? Have you ever felt compelled to enter a battle or some kind of strife or contention you did not wish to fight, but you felt that you were left with no option? Have you been in that? sort of circumstance? Or have your principles and convictions ever led you to oppose something that you were convinced was utterly wrong and you you felt you had no alternative but to stand up and say something? Have you been in that situation? If you have... If you can relate to any of those scenarios, you can relate to the circumstances that Jude faced. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend, which means fight for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Jude felt that for the sake of the gospel he couldn't be quiet. For the sake of the gospel, he had to stand up and say something when everything within him was desiring to just have a word of encouragement for the saints. He wanted to speak words of hope and talk about our mutual salvation that we have in in Jesus. But time was short. His, His goal and desire was cut off at the pass by circumstances. And he realised now was not the time for words of comfort. Now was a time to stand up for truth. There's a time to speak, time to refrain from speaking. There's a time to fight. There's a time, you know, a time for war and a time for peace. Ecclesiastes teaches us this. And Jude recognised that it was a time for war. 
holy war, for standing up and contending for the faith. So he intended to write that encouraging personal letter but just didn't get that far. It was taken out of his control. And Jude probably wrote sometime around the middle 60s AD. Remember the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. So forces were at work at this time in Israel that were not pleasant in much the same way as we can see forces at work in our society today that disturb us and are not pleasant. Jude lived in times that are not unlike our own, where the Jewish faith, and because that was the roots of the Christian faith, was at the margins of society. And now Jesus had come along, the long-awaited Messiah, and, and people were embracing him and believing in him, but it was causing more than ripples. It was concerning the Romans, because the Romans had a system of gods, a pantheon of gods like the Greeks, and they believed that Caesar was, was like a divine representative. He was, he was a, some sort of divine figure, not a god, but a, a representative of the gods. And you were supposed to bow down to Caesar. You were supposed to offer prayers and, and offer incense to Caesar as a way of mediating to the gods. And Christians refused to cooperate. Christians wouldn't do it on principle. And there was persecution. Coupled with that, by this time, a real tear had come in the garment of... of the faith, if you like. Jews who, who believed in Jesus and Jews who did not believe in Jesus were parting company. And in addition, Gentiles were, were coming in and being welcomed by the Jews that believed in Jesus. And that was incensing the Jews that didn't believe in Jesus because they were seeing them as impostors, as false. So they, they hadn't come through the true, true way. You have to be circumcised in order to believe. You have to, you have to adopt Jewish practices. You basically have to become a Jew if you were to be a true believer. And these messianic believers were saying, no, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's impossible. None of us can keep the law of God. So within, if you like, the church, within the mainstream of, of faith and the dynamic of worship, as they knew it in those days, a split was happening. And Paul, you see it in the book of Acts where Paul wiped the dust off his feet and said, all right, you won't believe, we'll go to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what was happening. But out in society, there was pushback against believers, both Jew and, and Gentile, and especially Christians, Jews and Gentiles because of the whole thing to do with Caesar and, the, and many gods and the Christians were saying there's only one God and, he, and Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and the Holy Spirit is God as well and the three are one and people are going, 
can that be? And it was just creating all sorts of ripples. So Jude's desire to encourage besieged fellow Christians was outstripped by the need to warn of false teaching. People had wormed their way into churches. Churches in those days were often synagogues or homes. If it was a synagogue where faith in Jesus as Messiah was tolerated, then that worship could proceed. Otherwise, it was in homes, sometimes in catacombs, all over the place. But people had wormed their way into these fellowships and they were promoting immoral, ungodly, anti-Christian beliefs and practices. Look at what we told, verse 4. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago, and he's referring back to the book of Enoch, would you believe, which is not in the Bible. And he says... It was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So the result of these false teachers worming their way into the fellowships was to deny Jesus, undermine the gospel detract from the true faith, the faith that was once and for all time delivered to the saints. So the question is, how did Jude handle this? Did he just rise up and denounce them and fire and brimstone upon them? Well, not quite, but he certainly had some words to say, didn't he? He says... In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority and slander celestial beings. And even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively about whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. And then he goes on talks about Balaam's error, Korah's rebellion where the ground opened up, a sinkhole, and down they went in judgment. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualms, shepherds who feed only themselves, they're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees, so they're losing their leaves. They're not, it's not a time of fruitfulness. Without fruit and uprooted, twice dead, they are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars. So... He's just got all this colourful language describing them. But do you notice this? He never exhorts the believers to rise up and take physical action against them, to rise up and, and attack them physically and take their life. He exhorts them to stand up for the faith and to stand firm in the Lord, but it's in the Lord and it's in the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's do not let yourself be moved 
Be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. It's, it's digging deeper into the Lord. And we'll, we'll look at that more next week when we look at the latter part of the chapter. But instead of just, he, he does denounce them, but he's not countenancing or agreeing to rising up and taking matters into their own hands and doing assassinations or you know, physical acts of judgment upon these people. Now, this is important. Whilst he uses strong language, he doesn't countenance force in its own right. Notice this. He, he talks about the gospel entrusted to us. If something is entrusted to you, it is given to you for safekeeping. Have you had something entrusted to you that you've had to guard, that you've had to protect? If it's entrusted to you, it's not actually yours. Someone else owns it and they are entrusting you with it. And the wording that's used here is to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. This gospel, this faith, this good news about Jesus Christ has been entrusted to us through the apostles and the prophets. And it's been written down in the scriptures. We didn't create it. We don't own it. We didn't make it. It's, it's not of our dreaming up. We, we didn't invent the gospel. We didn't dream up the gospel. The gospel is a revelation from God. It is revealed to us. And it's entrusted to us to be passed on. It's entrusted to us to be lived out. It's entrusted to us to, to live according to its precepts and principles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that's the case, we don't have the right to tamper with the message or change what it's all about. That's what these false teachers were doing. They were saying that the gospel gives you liberty for immorality. The grace of God is so powerful and great, it doesn't really matter if you don't live a moral lifestyle because God's gracious and he'll forgive you anyway. And that was not the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Paul in Romans had to deal with this. He said, shall we sin that grace may abound? He said, no, may it never be. That's not the implication of the gospel. The implication of the gospel is if you know that Christ has died on the cross for your sins, out of gratitude you want to surrender your life to him, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and offer your bodies as a living sacrifice of gratitude and say, thanks be to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not an excuse to do things our way. It's a motivation to do things God's way. And it's when the gospel has been entrusted to us, we do not have the right to change the message. We do not have the right to alter its content. We do not have the right to rob God of his glory and, and fine-tune what we think he ought to have said 
or to improve it and, and cut some corners off because it's, it's going to go down sideways in our culture. It, is, it isn't going to be, it's not politically correct. It's, 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 it's not going to go down real well to say out loud, there's only one way to God and it's through Jesus. That goes down like a lead balloon. So let's just water that down. Let's just not emphasise that so much. And we're tampering with the gospel. It then becomes a powerless gospel because the gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentiles. So when there are political forces marshalled against us, social forces marshalled against us, and even spiritual forces marshalled against us through false teachers in the church, we have to stand firm on what God says. This is the way, walk in it. Building on the foundation, not of, of wood, hay and straw, but gold, silver and precious stones. Building on the rock, not the sand. Taking the straight and narrow way, not the broad way that leads to destruction. Not the way of compromise, but the way of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Do you know the Christian message? Are you framing your life around that message of Christ? Is Christ the core of your life? Do you believe with all your heart that he died for your sins and he wants you to live in the power of his spirit for his glory? Are you willing to suffer for him? Or, or do you want to take shortcuts because it'll make life easier and keep quiet and not speak up? There's a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. We need that wisdom but there are some things that Jude says you can't shut up about. You can't keep quiet about. And when people deny the Lord Jesus Christ and give license for immorality and start saying it's okay to do this even though God's word says that, things have changed, we've got to get with it, we've got to choose Jesus' way, not man's way. Not the way of worldly wisdom, but the way of godly wisdom. Now, you don't have to be Einstein to, to work out some implications from this for us. We've got elections coming up. We know that um, there's going to either be a plebiscite on gay marriage or if Labor gets in, there's going to be, um, it'll, in the first 100 days, it'll just be brought in. So these are the kinds of forces at work in our culture. And as Christians, we've got to grapple with them. We've got to figure out what's a response, what's an appropriate response to these things. We can get hopping mad and say it shouldn't be this way. We can go and attack people, but that's not going to recommend the gospel. Jude is saying stand firm in your faith, be uncompromising, call sin, sin, but but make sure you're rooted and grounded in Christ and you're truly living for him and you don't wind up going down the wrong track yourself and getting swept away with immoral beliefs. Do you know that message and are you standing on Christ? 
Is he your rock? Is he the firm foundation deep within you? Is he the substance and the root of your convictions so that you believe and that nothing is going to move you because you're convinced by God of the truth of Jesus? If we're to withstand persecution, if we're to to live a holy life in an unholy world, we have to be firm in our faith, not easily moved. That means allowing the Spirit of God to do his work in us, to deepen convictions, to bring out, you know, put his finger on areas of our life that aren't right. But we we never have to apologise for the gospel. We might have to apologise for our sin, but not apologise for the gospel. The apology we give is living a holy life. The apology we give is standing firm in the Lord and letting the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God, be put on display, even if it involves persecution. That's what Jude is advocating. So... The gospel is entrusted to us. We contend or fight for the gospel rather than for ourselves. Jude doesn't stand up and say, this is unfair. He's not advocating for himself. He's advocating for the gospel of Christ. He's saying, contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So Jesus talked about, you know, turning the other cheek. He talked about, Blessed are those who, who um, endure persecution for righteousness' sake, who suffer for the gospel. For the glory of God rests upon you. It's easier said than done, though, isn't it? Easier said than done. There's a huge difference between Christianity and Islam precisely here. Muhammad urged his followers to kill all heretics, infidels and apostates. Jesus urged his followers to love their enemies, to pray for those who spitefully use them, to lay down their life for others. Jude urges us to be merciful to those who doubt. Show mercy mixed with fear as we snatch heretics from the fire, hating the clothing stained by corrupted flesh, but not hating the person. Hating the clothing stained by corrupted flesh, but not the person. Hating what goes with it, but loving the person and valuing them. David followed Jesus' way by refusing to take matters into his own hands when Saul was chasing him for seven years. He learned the lesson, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's what Jude is saying. And he, he, he brings out that point where he says that they, they didn't even balk, these, these heretics long ago didn't even balk at bringing slanderous accusations against angels. But Moses' approach was to say, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Not, may you die on the spot. I'm going to get you. Not retaliation but looking to God for vindication. Leave it to our God to order and provide. Finally, the gospel trains us to be stricter on ourselves than we are on others. Stricter on ourselves than we are on others. 
We know that God's kindness leads us to repentance. We desire to treat others better than ourselves, esteem others more highly than ourselves. We aim to carry our own load and help others carry their load, but we don't expect them to help us carry our load. But we aim to have something over to help them, if need be, carry their load. We're swift to listen, slow to anger, eager to forgive, because this is the gospel. This is the faith, the implications of the faith, once for all delivered to us. And our real enemy is not the heretic, is it? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan's the real enemy. He's burrowing into minds and corrupting the gospel. So we need to put on the armour of the gospel, Helmet of the hope of salvation, the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the gospel of peace and the sword of the spirit of God and, and trust that our God will bring about his deliverance in his time and his way. So to wrap it up, Jude is saying to contend for the faith requires more faith. It drives us back into Christ rather than into our shell. It drives us back to the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, how long? Oh, Lord, I need you. Lord, please come. Deliver us. How are you going with fighting the good fight of faith? Are you getting weak at the knees or standing firm, standing your ground? Are you learning how to put on the armour? And to give an answer to anyone who asks a reason for the hope within you and do it with gentleness and respect rather than just dump on them. But still, stand for the faith. Stand up unapologetically. Don't apologise for Jesus. But, but don't be rude about Jesus either. Be fair and honest. Do you know who your real enemy is? that it isn't the person whose mouth or tongue is wagging against you or making threats against you. It's really the father of lies, the murderer from the beginning, the one who's come to steal and to kill and destroy. He's the real enemy. He's what lies behind these things. And we need to learn how to contend with spiritual armour, the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, not ignorant of Satan's devices. Do you know some of his schemes and tricks? Have you started to figure out in your life how Satan worms his way in to, to trick you up? Have you learned to read some of the signs of when you're vulnerable? Pay attention. He, he, he will give himself away by the methods that he uses. And if you stand firm in the Lord... You can endure and bear up under unjust suffering. Are you willing to seek prayer and encouragement? We need that to encourage one another. So Jude is saying all of these things to us because the gospel is not ours and we are not our own. We're bought with a price. We're to glorify God with our body. Let's pray. Lord and Father, thank you for the precious, precious 
hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the grand truth of salvation. Who, we, Lord, we could never have worked this out ourselves. We could never have devised such a scheme of redemption. It's beyond us as the heavens are higher than the earth. We pray, Father, for the ability by your spirit to grasp the depth of that revelation more and more and to understand more and more how long and wide and high and deep is your love and to know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding. Teach us what it means, Lord, to be rooted and grounded in the gospel, to let the message of Christ dwell in us richly, that the word of the Lord would be living and active in our hearts, excising sin, pointing out where things, are, motivations are, are not right, where there's ways that, that we can improve. Open our hearts to you, Lord, that we might be a growing, eager people, eager to do what is good, eager to please you, and bold in our faith. Will you encourage us, Lord, as a church to learn these lessons now before it's too late, before our society has changed much more and it becomes even more difficult, harder to stand up for the gospel. Teach us these, this message, Lord of Jude, that we're entrusted with a precious and valuable message, the message of Christ our Lord, our God and our Saviour. In your name we pray. Amen.